Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. mention next week. If you're visiting with us this week, I want to invite you back next week. Next week is going to be an awesome week. We're going to continue the celebration from the day, carry that over into next week, and we're going to kick off the service with some baptisms. We're going to have a special music group here called Change of Heart. They're going to uh, lead us in worship next week. I'm not going to preach very long at all, which is amen. And then, <laughs> and then if you come back next week, we'll actually feed you after church. And that's something you definitely don't want to miss. Um, baptisms. I love baptizing people. Amen. It's a great celebration. What a great testimony. Let me just throw this out there. If you've never been baptized and you want to be baptized, come back next week and we will baptize you. Let me know. Because there's some people that they are believers, they've just never been baptized. And Jesus gave us that example to follow. If you get saved today... I'll move you to the front of the line next week, okay? Just, just saying, just saying. But seriously, next week will be a lot of fun. You won't want to miss next week. One other thing, this is a beautiful keyboard, and it sounds pretty awesome. Amen. This was given to our church in memory and in honor of Jan Morgan Asher, and we greatly appreciate that. Her family, her family wanted to thank those that ministered to her and, and her family and friends during her, her time of passing especially those through her sickness and, and on the time of her funeral. So uh, what a great honor, and, and we, we appreciate having that in her honor. All right. Other than that, I'm ready to preach. This is an awesome day. Resurrection Sunday is so special to me. Um, you know, like I said, Christmas is it's pretty exciting. I'm one of these people that loves Christmas. You know, I love the music. I love the the decorations and all that stuff. But there's something very special about this day in history. Today is actually the heart of the Christian faith. When we look back at the life of Christ, you know, at Christmas time, we're just we're amazed by the virgin birth, aren't we? I mean, it's amazing. We look at His life and the miracles and the, the healings and all the incredible things He said. We're encouraged by Christ's life. We're thankful for the suffering that he endured over this past week. We're often broken when we consider the brutality of the cross and the horror that he endured for us. But you know, it all hinges on today. All of that hinges on Jesus getting up on Sunday morning and walking out of that tomb alive. If Jesus didn't come out of there alive that day, none of it matters. Nothing we say or do here today makes one lick of difference if Jesus didn't come out of the tomb alive. But thankfully, <laughs> hallelujah, we know He did. He came out alive that day. He is victorious. He conquered death. He, he defeated sin and the grave. But there's something that, that Jesus said right before He died. 
It's very profound. And that's what I want to talk about this, this morning. Right before he died, he said something very brief. But I think what Jesus said sums up the entire message of Easter. It sums up the Christian faith as a whole. This morning we're going to look at John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. Three little verses. John chapter 19. You can look in your Bibles. We'll have it on the screen for you as well. At this point, Jesus has already been betrayed. Judas has turned on him. Jesus has been arrested. He's been carried off. All the lashings, all the beatings, all the humiliation has almost come to an end. And he's, he's finally hanging on the cross, nailed through feet and hands, waiting really for death to deliver him from the agony that he's went through for hours. But before the end actually approaches, Jesus says something very interesting and very profound. Look at what John records in John chapter 19. He says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now think about this for just a moment. Here is Jesus, the man that healed people, that made the blind to see. He made the lame to walk. He even made dead people come back to life. All the incredible things that he'd said and that he'd done over the past three years or so of his ministry. And as death approaches, he doesn't look down and he doesn't quote the the words of John 3.16, or he doesn't quote the Roman road. He, he doesn't cast condemnation down to the ones that had nailed him to that tree. He simply, with all the strength that he can muster up, says, it is finished. John, out of the four Gospels, is the only one that records Jesus saying, it is finished. And so to me, it seems like John, who was very close to Jesus, Realize there's something important about this little phrase, it is finished. In the Greek, it's, it's only one word, tetelestai. Tetelestai, it means it's finished, it's completed, it's been accomplished, it's been fulfilled. In the, it even appears in the perfect tense for all you grammar gurus that, that like grammar. That even the, the grammar signifies that whatever Jesus is talking about is perfect in its fulfillment and completion. But what is it? What was so important that in his last breath, Jesus cried out, it is finished. What's he talking about? Many times when Jesus spoke, if you go back and study the things he said, his words usually have more than one meaning, to be honest with you. It means something very obvious, but it also has a deeper meaning behind it. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished, I think that there's several things that Jesus is talking about that's actually finished. And I'm going to go through some of these with you this morning. The first and most obvious is that his earthly life was finished. Jesus was literally dying. His earthly life was coming to an end. And as I thought about this, I've wondered, have you ever really stopped and <coughs> excuse me, and thought about what it meant for Jesus to become a man in the first place? Yeah, we celebrate that at Christmas, but what did it mean for Jesus to put himself in our shoes? 
C.S. Lewis, in a radio interview, made an incredible analogy to this point. He said, just imagine for a moment that lying at your feet is your dog. I know some of us really love our dog. We love our pets. If you're a cat person, this can, you can pretend it's your cat, okay? Uh, we don't have very much luck in the Shields home with pets, so this would have to be my fish. My fish is lying there. But imagine, seriously, that this is your dog lying at your feet, and you realize that your dog and every other dog on the face of the earth is in incredible trouble. They're in incredible distress. And you know that if somehow all, all the dogs in the world could come like people, I know this sounds crazy, but bear with me. If all the dogs in the world could become like people, suddenly they'd be better off. All their problems would be fixed. But in order for all the dogs to become like people, you have to become like a dog. Would you do it? Would you do it? Would you lay down your humanity? Leave all your loved ones. Leave your home, your job. Some of us will leave our job. Leave our hobbies. Leave the great conversations that you get to have with all the people that you care about and simply settle for looking up at them and just wagging your tail. Would you do it? Most of us, if not all of us, would say no. But this is exactly the extent that Jesus went to to become a man for us, to become one of us, to leave the glories of heaven in the presence of God the Father and step into our world and not just become like us, but to become one of us. We wouldn't do this for our dogs, but Jesus did this for me and you. But not only did Jesus come and, and live like we lived, Jesus lived a perfect life. That's something that we'll never be able to understand because we're so imperfect. But Jesus lived a perfect life. You see, His death on the cross would have been meaningless had His life been imperfect. But His life was perfect. And then, let's just hit this real quick. Jesus says something earlier. He says, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I think this points to His humanity. Going through what He'd gone through, it's no wonder that Jesus was thirsty. It could even be that Jesus needed this drink to be able to utter the final words, it is finished. Surely he was severely dehydrated. His mouth was probably swollen from the beating that he had just taken. It was parched. I bet his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. He needed something to drink. And in his most human moment, he simply says, I'm thirsty. But John tells us also so that Scripture might be fulfilled. You see, when you read back through the Old Testament, there's several passages that prophesy about Jesus being thirsty. They even talk about the wine vinegar that He was given to drink. But like I said, many times His words had a dual meaning. And I think maybe in this moment, as death approached Jesus, His humanity was beginning to bridge to His deity once again. And I think maybe Jesus was referring to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 42. Listen to this and imagine... This being on Jesus' mind. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when can I go and meet with God? Jesus thirsts to be with His Father once again. Yeah, it was bad to become a man, but to leave God the Father, 
cost Jesus greatly. And after being separated from God the Father by our sins, by taking on the sins of the world, Jesus' life on earth was now finished. To tell us that. It's finished. I think Jesus is also pointing out very clearly that His suffering was finished. Yes, it was difficult to leave the glories of heaven. Yes, it was difficult to leave the presence of God the Father. But the horrors that Jesus had just endured were unfathomable to most of us. We can hardly imagine the pain and suffering and humiliation that Jesus went through. Not only was the Son of God shamed, I'm talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords here. He was shamed and ridiculed and mocked, treated like a common criminal when he should have been treated like a king. He was treated like an animal, worse than we would treat our dog, to be honest with you. But he was also brutally punished. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails, they call it, something that they would put sharp metal or bone or stone in the end of this, and they would whip, and as it would hit the person, it would latch onto the flesh and they'd rip it off and it'd literally tear the flesh from the person's body. Lacerating the vessels up and down the body as they beat them, spilling incredible amounts of blood. The crown of thorns was pressed into his scalp. And then they went through and they smacked it and beat it into his head. His beard was plucked and pulled. They put a blindfold on him and they took turns going through and they'd punch him and say, prophesy and tell us who hit you. And then he had to bear the cross. The most inhumane way to die, most historians say that there's no worse way to leave this world than crucifixion. Most people on the cross suffocated to death under the weight of their own body weight. When they no longer hold themselves up anymore, they simply just suffocated to death. Listen to how a doctor describes crucifixion in a medical journal. This is what our Lord went through. Listen to this. The cross is placed on the ground, and the exhausted man is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist, and he drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly but to allow some flex and some movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backwards against the right foot with both knees extended and a nail is driven through the arc of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. You see the nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves. And as he pushes himself upward to avoid stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. And again, the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of the feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhale. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. He endures hours of this limitless pain, 
cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down and up and down the rough timber of the cross. And then another agony begins. A crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium, the tissue around the heart, slowly fills with fluid and begins to compress the heart. It's now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues, and finally, he can allow his body to die. All of this horror, and John simply records it in verse 18 by saying, There they crucified him. There they crucified our Lord. He went through about six hours of that before he died. And he did it all for us. All for us. But now his suffering was finished. To tell us that. It's finished. The next thing I, I think Jesus is talking about here is that Satan was finished. Satan was finished. You see, from the garden, Satan had manipulated, lied to, and deceived humanity. We all have a sin problem, don't we? I mean, we don't have to get through much of a day without realizing, hey, I'm, I'm, yeah, I got a sin problem, Lord. We all do. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in this thing together. We all have a problem with sin. And for whatever reason, we, we learn pretty early. Teacher told little Johnny one day, she said, Johnny, this makes five times I've had to punish you this week. Just say for yourself, young man. Little Johnny said, I'm sure glad it's Friday. <laughs> and we make light of our sin like little Johnny all the time. We make light of our sin, but our sin is a huge deal to God. It's an incredible deal to God because sin is what separates us, the people that God loves, from Himself. For centuries, the blood of bulls and lambs just merely covered up the sins of humanity from God. But it never defeated sin. It never dealt with the heart of the issue. But then, Jesus came on the scene. Jesus came and Jesus did what no one else or no thing could do. The blood of countless lambs could not atone for the sins of humanity. Not even for one sin. But the blood of the Lamb of God was able to wash every sin that humanity had ever committed away the wages the Bible says of sin is death and in Christ in his death sin and death were conquered forever Christ's death on the cross just dealt a final devastating blow to Satan and to hell on the cross sin's curse as we sang about began to lose its grip as every sin that we've ever committed was laid upon Jesus Christ, Satan had to realize that he was finished. Throughout the Bible, Satan is often called the accuser. The one who accuses us. He goes through and he, he adds up our sin bill and he tallies up 
all of our sin and he tries to present it to God and say, look, look how bad they are. Look at all that they've done. You know, before online bill pay, before you got a message and you could reply, yes, I want to pay this with this card, you actually had to walk in somewhere and pay your bills and actually write out a check. Remember that? That was not so long ago, was it? But our sin debt, our sin bill, it just keeps building and building and building. And we get fines and we get overdraft charges and there's, there's no way that we could ever settle our debt. Nothing we could ever sell or do that could settle our sin debt. But on Calvary, Jesus walked up to Satan and He said, Give me that bill. Give me that bill. And our account was in pitiful shape. You can imagine. But Jesus settled our account by shedding and spilling His blood and dying for us. Paid in full forevermore. No more debits. No more debts. No more power of sin. Satan was finished. The next thing we see is Jesus' mission was finished. His mission. It's almost like a military operation. Jesus had a mission that He had to accomplish. See, I think, and I believe that God was not surprised when we sin. I believe that God planned on saving us from our sin from the very beginning, from the very get-go. When Adam bit into that apple in the garden, I think God simply said, Son, get ready. Get ready. They're going to need you. They're going to need you soon. Adam and Eve are going to need you. Cain and Abel and Moses and and Noah and Abraham, they're going to need you. There's some people in a place called Kentucky, and one day they're going to need you. Amen? And so Christ's mission was not rooted in God being surprised that we, we messed up. It was rooted in God's love for us. For God so loved the world. Not that for God was so shocked by the sin they committed. He loved us. And His mission was simply to come into our world and to save us from our sins. Romans tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God gave His only Son for us. He went through hell on earth for us so we could have a glimpse of heaven someday that we could have eternal life, that our sins could be forgiven, that God's wrath towards our sin could be satisfied once and for all. And Jesus accomplished His mission. The empty tomb is the proof. You see, the empty tomb is the evidence that Jesus was correct when He said, it is finished. He did it. That's what He's saying. He did it. He made a way when there was no way. To tell us that. It's finished. And so what do we do? That's the logical question. His life on earth was finished. His suffering was finished. Satan was finished. Christ's mission 
was finished. What about us? How do we respond? See, it's very simple. It's almost so simple that it's not even logical. All we have to do is believe. Just believe. Accept this free gift from God. Turn from our sin and just turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Trust that all this stuff that He said and He did is true. That when He said, it's finished, your sin debt is paid. Believe that. Believe that the tomb really was empty that day. Because if it really was empty, then that means Jesus really is who He claims to be. And that's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus has, has died for you. He's not going to lead you astray. He's trustworthy. You get that? We don't have to get cleaned up first. We don't have to come to church for a certain number of Sundays or for a certain amount of years. or We don't have to get our act together first. We just come with the mess that we have just as we are and we trust in Jesus to take care of the rest. And He will. He will. To get saved, as we call it, we have to accept three things, okay? Let me go through this. We have to accept three things. First of all, we have to accept that we are sinners. Do I even need to go there? I think we got that one pretty good. We're sinners, okay? We know we are. But the second thing is we have to accept that Jesus Christ actually is the Lord. That He is who He said He was. And He's proven this. The tomb is still empty, by the way. He is who He claimed to be. We have to accept that we are sinners. Accept that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we have to accept that Jesus Christ the Lord died for us sinners. He went through all of this for me and for you, for all of us. The horror of the cross, the bloodshed, the agony, the disgrace, even death itself for us. And all we have to do is simply accept this free gift that God has given us. Trust Him. He's taking God's wrath for all of our sin and put it upon Himself. And if we refuse to accept that, that means we will have to own up to what we've done and face God's wrath and God's judgment. And friends, I'm telling you, that's not a place that you want to be. There was a father and a daughter out on the prairie walking along, you know, enjoying the spring weather one day. And they looked off in the distance and they saw a wildfire just blazing, heading their way. And the father knew there's no way, no matter which direction they run, they'll ever be able to outrun it. If you've ever seen any of these real wildfires, they're, they're in, there's nowhere they could go to escape the fire. And so he thought for a minute and he, and he simply knelt down on the ground in the middle of the prairie and he began to just to build a, another little fire. And the daughter's like, Daddy, what are you doing? We've got to get out of here. Why are you building a fire? And he says, Honey, we'll let this burn a little bit. And when it burns out of the way and the flames come closer, we'll get in the ashes and we'll hunker down and we'll let the fire go around us. Because the fire cannot burn where the fire is already burned. I want you to hear that again. The fire cannot burn where it's already burned. And so they did. The flames came roaring closer. And the girl got scared, and so they got into the ashes, and they stood in the ashes, and she's, she's beginning to cry, and he says, it's okay, honey, it's okay, the flames won't get us in here. 
And they came closer and they just simply went around the father and the daughter. And they escaped the flames. Because the fire cannot burn where the fire is already burned. Judgment cannot fall where judgment has already fallen. And Christ bore our judgment already. It's finished. He bore our judgment for sin upon Himself. And so, when we come to Him, we escape the punishment from our sins. Do you realize what a huge deal this is? That we can escape the wrath of God that we rightfully deserve because Christ took it upon Himself. He's already taken it for us. It's finished. It's accomplished. To tell us that. So my question for you as we close is very simple. (laughs) Will you accept this free gift that God has given you? Will you take it? Will you accept and trust Christ for who He is? Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and just follow Him. Say, God, Lord, I'll, I'll trust You. Forgive me. I know I need you. I don't know what all I need to do, but I know I need you. And guys, that's simply enough. It just takes the faith of a child to follow Jesus. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And today I'm going to ask you to respond to the truth that you've heard today. Before we do, let's pray together. Father, as we come before you on this Resurrection Sunday, Lord, we can't even begin to offer enough thanks for what You did for us. God, that You sent Your only begotten Son into this world to die for us. But not only to die, but to suffer one of the most shameful and the most painful deaths known to mankind. Lord, the only thing that we can do is simply trust in You. We can never repay You. We can never do enough good to earn your favor. Instead, you love us. And you just call us to ourselves, call us out of our mess to be with you. Or if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you, they've never trusted in you for salvation, never accepted this free gift, God, I pray that in the next few moments they will today. God, if there's somebody here that's been running from you, Lord, maybe they knew you at one time. Maybe they came up and prayed a little prayer one time. But God, somewhere along the way, they've got disconnected. And now they realize, God, it's time to come back home. Call them back today, Lord. Call them back today. There's no shame in this decision. It's the most wonderful decision that they could ever make. Lord, we give this time to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.